Boxing fans around the world, welcome in to the H-Bomb Boxing Report. Marty H, and this is episode one of our brand new audio podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future in the sport of boxing. And yes, I did say we, which brings me to my co-host for this episode. He's not only a huge boxing fan, he's also a historian of sorts. He's as well-read on the subject as anyone I know. He's the former co-host of the Ballroom Boxing Report radio program, as well as Inside Outside Boxing. More importantly, he's a great guy and a good friend of mine, Mr. Scotty Krause. Scotty, welcome in, brother. How you doing? Hey, Marty. This is exciting. I am really, really excited to be a part of your inaugural uh, podcast and boxing program. Uh, you, uh, you are one of the most knowledgeable, passionate boxing fans I know. We had some good times uh, on the Ballroom Boxing Report. Uh, as Marty said, I was a co-host with uh, Scott Wagner, who was the host, and Marty would... Uh, Join us in the studio. Third wheel. Uh, yeah, quite quite frequently. <laughs> Casual yeah, he, he would, he'd bring us uh, some uh, uh, some good food as well. Always uh, those breakfast sandwiches were. Uh, I think that's why I was there. No, nah, it wasn't why you were there, but it certainly it certainly helped. You know, so uh, it's good to have this opportunity. It's been a long time. Well, you know, Scotty, it's been more than four years since the two of us have been behind microphones together. So I'm hoping tonight we can shake off the ring rust and squeak out a decision. That's the goal here. Always go for the knockout, Marty. <laughs> now, Never leave it in the hands of the judges. Adelaide Berg, where are you? Okay, so th- this podcast, Scotty, is not about you and it's not about me, but I like to put a little context in it since uh, this is the first episode and talk a little bit, a- bit about how you and I got from point A to point now. So, but first of all, the reason I started this podcast is because I couldn't convince you to start this podcast. I thought you were well-suited for it, and I thought, like, that would be cool if I can get Scotty to start a podcast, and then I can just come on and be a co-host every now and then, and I'll have something to listen to. Uh, About about, about two years too late. (laughs) Well, I I guess if you're talking about our history, it would go back to Michael's 8th Avenue, which, of course, is a great venue for club fights, but uh, also it's, uh, it's a place where stars developed. And uh, that was exciting to see a lot of the, the stars of today start out there. You know, like, who are some of the, the fighters that you remember coming through Michaels? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I know Terrence yeah. Crawford fought his second fight there. Uh, Kermit uh, Cintron. Yeah, Kermit Cintron. That was the very first time I was at Michaels. Now, I I sort of got in on the whole ballroom boxing, the Michaels experience. A little, just just slightly past, it, it had already peaked. And I was living in California. And I can remember, I'd go to the grocery store. I didn't have any money. couldn't afford a, a Ring Magazine subscription at the time. I had one when I was younger, but during these lean times, I couldn't. So I'd go to the grocery store, and I'd always try to find the newest Ring Magazine. And I remember they had a feature, Best Local Club Shows. The best on the West Coast was, the at the time, it was a fabulous forum which I had the privilege of going to a couple times. On the East Coast, they listed the place in Maryland called Michael's 8th Avenue. I never heard of it, but I thought, well, that's pretty cool that I'm out here in California and a place in Maryland is considered one of the best 
local shows on the East Coast. So when we moved back and I had some money, I had the opportunity to get some tickets. The heyday, like I said, had just barely passed. It was still big, but it had peaked. But my very first show was when Kermit Cintron was fighting. And uh, there are a lot of fighters that we've seen develop. Uh, Tony that, Thompson? Yeah, Tony Thompson, of course. Darnell uh, uh, Singling oh, Man. Yeah. yeah, we saw him there. Uh, there, there, there. There's so many. And so many great fights of fighters that I had never heard of. And the fights were just, you know. Scott Wagner, of course, we can't we can't talk about Michaels without talking about Scott Wagner, who's uh, was a dear friend of yours and and mine as well. And when I, when I started thinking about starting this podcast, I had a lot of doubt and a lot of negative thoughts. Should I do it? Can I do it? What happens if it fails? And I thought about Scott, and I was like, you know, he'd be all over this if you said to him, "Hey, Scott, you've been off the radio for four years. Uh, how about let's start a podcast?" He'd be like, "Okay, you want to start tomorrow?" You know, and it was like if you if you pulled a microphone out of your coat pocket and said no we're on right now he would be like oh okay and he would just he would pick it up and go i mean you know scott was a special guy and uh he was the promoter at michael's you know it was was a family-owned operation there the whole business they did uh, weddings and bull roast and uh, concerts and all kind of different events but scott was the boxing guy and uh he ran all aspects of the promotion i used to go there before he knew me i kind of knew him and, you know, he'd be he'd be helping the guys tighten the ropes and he'd be checking on the concessions and, and, and he'd be with the security guys and he'd be, you know, Lou Duve would be in the VIP area and he'd be over there glad handing him. And and uh, so and I, I would meet Scott on the way out. He would he would stand by the by the door on the Always way out. Always stand there. Yeah, he would stand by the door and just shake a hand and, you know, everybody would go by and I was no different. Like, hey, great show. When's the next show? That sort of thing. And uh it was always something like sometimes I went with a group of friends. Sometimes I went with maybe one friend. Sometimes I even went by myself. You know, it was just that's I, I just have so many great memories there. Always cared about the troops. Always uh, would do something special for veterans. They would have the wounded from Walter Reed in the ring. Some of the most tear jerking moments. Oh, if that were, didn't move you, you weren't uh, alive. before the fight when you'd see someone standing in the ring yeah. with a missing limb. And our good friend uh, Paul Whitlock yes. singing "God Bless the USA," and you're just like, if that didn't move you, you weren't yeah. alive. And I mean, it was something special. And Scott yeah. would send the bus down there to pick those guys up and bring them up. And I think that he was more proud of that than he was the fights that he put always. On. You know, yeah. so Scott Scott was a special guy. And Marty, I miss him. I miss him every day. I miss him all the time. You know, the the, the 17th of this month, Scotty, will mark three years uh, since he passed. And, you know, he wasn't on this earth long enough, but he got his money's worth. Man, that guy was a, he was just a, a special guy, you know, for both of us. And, um, you know, his, his cousin told a story uh, at his wake about how they, they went to college together and they would, they downtown and they would, they would walk past this uh, guy. I don't know if he was homeless, but he was like a street musician guy. And he would, you know, be playing the drums on a, a bucket or something. And Scott would always t- uh, stop by and, you know, ha- say something to him, maybe throw a buck in the, in the, in the can or something. And one day, Scott brings his saxophone because Scott played the sax. And he starts playing the sax with this guy. And so his cousin goes into the goes into class and the, the professor says, hey, where's Scott? You know, you guys are always together. He said, oh, he's down the street uh, playing saxophone with some street musician. So the professor shuts down the class and takes the class down to, to down the street to see what's going on. And they say it was the biggest crowd 
that guy had ever had. And that's, the, you know, that was the kind of guy he was, man. He made friends with people from all walks of life, yep. you know, and he, he called me, uh, off air one time and invited me over to his house. And that's where, where I met you. We met for the, uh, Pacquiao De La Hoya pay-per-view and, Scott was just an inviting guy, and I can always remember there he'd have a crowd of people at his house, and he would always say to me, like, I'm going to take a picture of this crowd because people are going to say, "What's you know, he would say, I'm going to ask people, what, what do these people have in common? You know, you had old guys and young guys and black guys and white guys and well-dressed guys and guys who look like they pulled their clothes out of a duffel bag, and, you know, local media people would be there, and Joe the pizza guy and his neighbor, and, I mean, you know, Scott just was a people person. Yeah, I've never known someone like him before. And it's funny you say that about meeting you there for the fights because we'd be on the air and there'd be a big pay-per-view. And I think the Pacquiao De La Hoya fight might have been the first one that he did this. I think he was just moving into his new house. In fact, I think there were places that were still being constructed and closed off. And I remember it was drafty, but you know, he had everyone over and he'd be on the air and he'd be talking to people that he's never met and he would give out his address and say, you want to watch the fights? Come on over. Here's my address. Here's my phone number. And, uh, met a lot of good people that way. Some that we still watch the fights with, uh, you know, apart from COVID and how you know that's affected us, but it, it was a special time. Scott was a special uh, person. And Marty, I, I seriously doubt you and I would be sitting here right now if it was not it's for absolutely Scott true. Wagner. You know, the first time I heard you, because I heard you before I met you on the radio, and uh, I was driving to the hospital to pick up my wife. I think she had a baby or something, and I was, uh, it something to do with the baby. Something like that. Yeah, like, you know, my son, there were complications when my son was born. He stayed in the hospital about 14 or 15 days. It's a Saturday. I'm driving to the hospital. I'm, I'm flipping around the dial, and I, I, I pass by, you know, ESPN radio, and I was like, hey, these guys are talking about boxing, and these these guys know what they're talking about and, and they're funny. And, you know, it was just, I've just got sucked in right away, you know, and you, know, you get that call like, Hey, you, you know, you're coming in, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, honey, I'll, I'll be right there. These guys are talking about uh, Aaron Pryor and Alexis Arguello's first fight. And it, you know, as soon as they go to commercial, I'll be right in. <laughs> <laughs> I was hooked right off the bat, dude. Yeah. So. I, 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 I'm with you. I would uh, hear the show. I would drive up to Philadelphia on Saturdays for some schooling and I would hear this show and I would hear Scott Wagner and I thought this is just the greatest show. I mean, cause you didn't have that many at the time, you know, right. you didn't have, it wasn't the day of internet and you know, we're jaded now. Yeah, you know, we are, at our we are. we're spoiled. And I remember just loving it. And anytime I'd hear Scott on the local radio stations talking boxing, I would love it. And the first time that I met him, the first time I was at Michael's and I saw him, I felt like I was meeting a celebrity and who knew? Well, Scott is the farthest thing from wanting to be a celebrity that you could imagine. Uh, he doesn't have the personality of a celebrity, but he is a larger than life personality nonetheless. And I just was so excited to meet him. Who knew that he would become such a good friend. I would spend years with him on the radio and through him meet and talk to some of my all-time favorite boxing heroes. You mentioned Aaron Pryor, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, uh, so many modern-day fighters. I mean, these guys were my heroes. You know, when I started off as a kid, 
and got into bo uh, boxing and, and watching boxing. These were my larger than life heroes. And the fact that one day I was actually able to talk to them, meet some of them was uh, all because of uh, Scott Wagner and, and meeting him first. And, you know, we could spend hours. Do the whole show. We could do the whole show on that because there are so many stories yeah. about how we met him and, and what happened and so many great memories. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're here and we uh, are doing this uh, because of what Scott Wagner has done for both of us. Absolutely. So this this first show here, ballroom. Um, I knew I would slip up and call this ballroom boxing. I knew it. That's okay. That's H -bomb. okay. Scott's smiling. Yeah. So that's what I say. This this first uh, episode from H Bomb Boxing is dedicated to Scott. So I hope you're listening. So now let's move on to talk about a little bit of boxing. So I want to talk about what just happened and what's about to happen. And it's a little segment I like to call "What Just Happened" and "What's About to Happen." So just this past week, Scotty. Uh, Caleb Plant defended his IBF super middleweight uh, world title against Caleb Truax. Uh, One-way traffic, Scotty. 120 to 108 on all, all three, three cards. Yeah, all uh, so, you, you get three judges to agree on a score, then, you, you know, it's it's pretty pretty yeah. one-sided. Usually you're going to get one that's going to at least go you know, right. uh, a little a little different direction, but no, this one was obvious. So 120 to 108, for those of you out there who – new to this or don't really know how to score boxing that's basically a shutout that that says that uh, plant won every single round in the eyes of all three judges so you know he's catching a little flack because he didn't put him away but you know Truax is a durable guy he's a veteran he's been in there with a lot of tough guys uh, he's not an easy guy to put away he's not and it would have been a feather in his cap if he could have put him away but I think it almost could have worked against him as well. He's getting enough criticism for fighting a guy like Truax, but if he had to put him away, especially if I put him away early or very convincingly, I don't know if it would have done as much for him. I think a lot of people would have said Truax is damaged goods. And all you did was knock out a guy who is damaged goods. I think winning a shutout like that, um, thoroughly outboxing him every single round, every minute of every round is almost, uh, a little bit more of an accomplishment and we all like to see the knockout. I know plant would have liked to have gotten him out of there, but I, I think, uh, I think he showed what he needed to show. I think he had a good performance. Again, Caleb Truax is not top of the division. He's not an elite fighter, but he is a veteran. Like you said, he is savvy. He knows his way around the ring. He's fought some good fighters. He had some big wins. He had that big win over James DeGale. So, you know, he's not a bomb, but, I think uh, Plant did what he needed to do, showed what he needed to show, no setbacks. He did say he hurt his hand. I haven't heard the severity of it or whether that's going to keep him out for any length of time. But uh, it never really seemed like he put his foot on the gas. Like it, he, he might have take, taken him out of there if he wanted to. Maybe the hand issue played into that. I don't know. It just it seemed like he, he knew he was he was cruising so far ahead. And you know, a lot yeah. of times when you hurt your hand and you're in a fight, though, that you are easily winning and well ahead you're not gonna press the issue yeah you're not gonna press the issue because you don't want to damage it even more and he was behind uh or if it was a close fight then then maybe he would have but there was no need to he won the fight hopefully he's okay i know he's got big plans yeah Nothing i was just gonna say has so, been so some of the names mentioned you know you got david benavidez you got of course canelo who's the cash cow 
Um, more on him in a, in a bit. And uh, also Jamal Charlo is uh, thinking about, or at least people are talking about him thinking about moving up to 168 at some point. So, I mean, all sure. those are good fights. Yeah, those are good fights. I think Plant is thinking one name. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the money is. Yeah, that's where the money is. Right. You know, so I think he wants uh, he wants that fight with Canelo. And good news is I think Canelo is uh, is determined to unify exactly the that, division. That was my point. Yeah. He's, he's got the stay busy fight coming up with Yildrum. Right. Uh, that I, I don't see that being any issue for him at all. No. Talking about Billy Joe Saunders in, in May, first week of May, which, which, which could be an issue. It could be an issue. Billy Joe Saunders is a very, very good boxer. And Canelo, if, you, if you're right there for Canelo, he's going to handle you. But if you're slick, if you're a boxer, if you can move, you might be able to give him some trouble. Billy, uh, Billy Joe Saunders is not a walkover. All right. I think Canelo beats him, but it's 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 not a walkover. That's not one I would look past. Yildrum is a guy that you figure he's going to handle him pretty easily. I uh, look past him to Saunders. Saunders, I'd be careful. I wouldn't look past him. But if he gets past Saunders, then you could be looking at a Caleb Plant fight. Who knows? Maybe September? Well, uh, Saunders seems to play to his opposition. You know, when he's fighting lesser opposition, he doesn't look as good. But when he... Case in point, David Lemieux. You know, he looked great. I mean, a lot of people thought Lemieux was going to take his head off, and that was probably, in my opinion, his best performance. But you're right about Plan. As far as he he wants that big money fight, and Canelo wants all those belts. He wants all those belts. He's he's stepped away from middleweight now. He's fully committed to the super middleweight division, 168 pounds, and I think that's his time frame is May uh, for Saunders and September would be plant. And that's that looks like that's going to play And, and that would make sense unless he took another stay busy fight in September and then fought plant towards the end of the year. You're not who knows what he's going to be doing promotionally. He only has the one other fight with Matchroom and then that's all got to be sorted out again. But one thing you got to say about Canelo right now is he is a very active I love it. fighter. I, I love it too. It. Yeah. I, I I love it, Marty. Especially coming off of a year where most fighters really only got one fight in because of COVID. And they got a pass for it. Yeah, and exactly. And now here he is. I mean, exactly. e- even before COVID, guys weren't fighting three times in six months. Exactly. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. So, so hats yeah. off to him. Props to him. Absolutely. There was a fight that was supposed to happen. That I was interested in, to, to be honest with you, uh, Sergey Kovalev and Bektamir Melikuziev. Who, when you have a name like Bektamir Melikuziev, uh, you get a nickname Beck the Bully. <laughs> and uh, I just thought it was interesting because uh, Beck the Bully, he he's only had six fights, and to you know, to take on a guy like Kovalev, who a lot of people say he's washed, his punch resistance is gone and whatnot, but he's still a he's still a heavy puncher. He's still a good boxer, and I just I was interested to see how the young guy was going to handle the old guy or vice versa. And, uh, of course, Rug got pulled out from under that one. Uh, Kovalev tested positive or something and uh, fights off. So January in general, Scotty, was a pretty slow month. Uh, earlier in the month, we saw, is, yeah. we saw Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell, which I thought was a, a very good fight. Uh, do you, any thoughts on that? I thought it was the perfect fight for Ryan Garcia at this stage of his career. And it gave him the opportunity to answer a few more questions that he'd yet to be asked and yet to answer. 
I thought going into that fight, Luke Campbell represented not a giant step up, but I thought he represented a good step. Yes. And Those are gold medals. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he's not a guy with, with a lot of power. He's got he's got some power, as Garcia found out in the second round. A good learning experience yes. there for him. Very good. Um but it wasn't a dangerous fight, but it was a good step up. And I thought he performed very, very well. And uh, certainly that body shot in the seventh round, uh, Luke Campbell's going to be uh, feeling that for sweet. a while. Yeah. It's very sweet. What do you make of the whole lightweight division with, you know, with the – here's what bothers me. To, to me, to me, the, the king of that division right now is Teo, Teofimo Lopez. And the reason is because he pushed all his chips into the center and he took on the guy. He took on – Vasily Lomachenko, who at the time was either number one, number two, number three on people's pound-for-pound list, whatever, but he was definitely a top three, top four pound-for-pound guy in the world. And here this 23-year-old brash kid took him on, beat him. To me, you've earned your spot at the top. All These other guys are talking, but he, he walked the walk. There's no doubt about it. When you take on the number one, number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world, a guy considered almost untouchable, a guy that, quite frankly, rarely lost rounds in a fight, a guy that would typically make some of the hardest fighters quit and give up in four the ring. Four in a row. It, it's, four it, times in a row. And then you come in like that as this young fighter and not just beat him, but, I mean, it, I thought it was a convincing win. Yes. And I, and I picked Lomachenko to win. I thought Lomachenko was going to take him to school. I thought this was going to be Tiafimo's sort of learning experience. Like maybe you're going to get in there and you're going to see what it's like at the very top because that's where Lomachenko was. Right. He's at the he's the elite. And I thought he was going to be given a boxing lesson. Honestly did. And it turned out the opposite. Of course, uh, Lomachenko didn't help himself by not he didn't Throwing fight till the punches. second half. I actually thought yeah. the second half of the fight was good. It was a very good. I, I think yeah, it was. I think Lopez won the entire first half of the fight, and then the second half was to, to me, it was a fifty. You know, it was like maybe a three round to sure. three in Absolutely. the second half. But yeah. that's still you know nine three or eight four type decision for for Lopez. He earned it. Yeah, no yeah. Doubt he, about he earned it. that decision, and uh, I thought he fought. Uh, it was a tremendous fight. I mean, he made a complete, he made a believer out of me. I was a doubter. I was a skeptic. He made a believer out of me. And that's how you do it by getting in there, fighting the top fighters, beating them convincingly. And I got to say what convinced me or, or what impressed me the most about Lopez in that fight was uh, the poise he showed throughout for all the talk, for the, the way he was acting. And a lot of the pre-fight uh, stuff sort of is, it, 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 it's why I was one of the reasons I was leaning towards Lomachenko. Whenever you'd see him, he was just so cool, so calm. Like he'd have this little grin, like, "All right, this kid doesn't know what he's getting into." You know, he like he had it together, like an assassin. And 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 Lopez just had all this energy and just so fired up. And I thought you, th- you thought, and I think Lomachenko thought he was going to come out there, do everything he can to get him out of there in two or three rounds, and burn out, burn out, and then Loma was going to take over. Well. Loma got six rounds into it, and, and the kid was being patient. Yes. And then he had to step forward. Yep. He, he didn't want to step forward in the beginning because he respected his power. But, but when the second half of the fight got here, he had no choice. And that's what impressed me, his patience. Absolutely. His poise. He stuck to the game plan no matter what happened. Uh, even when he was up a few rounds and having success, he didn't change the game plan and start 
maybe taking a few yeah. more risks. He stuck to the fight plan, and it paid off. And I agree with you. He's he's the top of that division, and uh, a great division. Yeah, well, a lot of good young fighters yeah. in that division. Well, the other two main guys that we didn't mention, of course, are Javante Davis and Devin Haney. And it it really bothers me when I hear them say these are the next four kings because, you know, when you talk about the four kings, which is uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Tommy Hearns, Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran, those guys fought the fights and then were called the four kings. You don't get called the four kings and then fight the fights. You got to fight the fights. Right, right. They're so, called the four kings. A little premature. Yeah. A little uh, premature. Very, very premature. They, and, uh, they, uh, they all fought each other. And, you know, if these guys all fight each other, give us some classics, uh, then maybe this could know, be their decade. Maybe, you know? maybe 20, 30 years down the road, you know, we'll have another name for them and, and they'll have their own uh, uh, make their own memories and uh, people be comparing future fighters to them. But they've got to fight each other. And today it seems like it's a little more difficult to do that it's a different era than yeah it was then i mean the, the first the first fight of the four kings was uh june of 1980 and the last one was uh, uh i don't know the month but in 1989 so basically those great fights scanned an entire decade and here we are 2021 so this could be their decade but they have to get in the ring and, and do it they can't can't just they talk can't fight it. on twitter yeah, just just don't keep yapping about it the way you hear spence and crawford for instance uh you know what Talk is cheap. Get in the ring, and let's see who uh, uh, who the best lightweight is. And you know what? When you talk about the four kings, you talk about those guys, and you go back. And by the way, I kind of like to call them the five kings because you got Wilfred Benitez in there as well, who fought uh, three out of the four. Yes, uh, right. he fought everyone except Hagler. for uh, uh, Marvin Hagler. Correct. Um, they lost some fights. You know what? And they, they they lost some fights. Duran lost to Leonard. Duran lost to Hagler. Duran lost to Hearns. Lost to Hearns three, lost yeah. to Leonard. Hearns lost to... I mean, they, they all had losses to each other. You know, Leonard lost to Duran. Right. Uh, they're not defined by their losses. Right. They took the chance. They fought great fights. Gave us some memorable, memorable... Some of the greatest memories of my boxing youth. Absolutely. Are those fighters fighting each other. And that's what these guys need to remember. It's not about, I mean, I know you want to win. I know it is a big deal. I know financially it means a lot, but take the chance, get in the ring, fight each other. They all want to preserve their zero because there's a guy out there who's undefeated that everybody wants to sort of emulate. And who, 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 who is that, <laughs> uh, uh, should I mention his name? Do we have to talk about Money Mayweather on the uh, H-Bomb Boxing Report? You just did. Oh, oh great. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to move on from that topic then. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, what's coming up, Scotty? Upcoming fights. Let's see. Sure. We got uh, this week's dead. This weekend coming up is uh, really nothing going on. By the way, I'm going to be updating the upcoming fights each week on my Facebook page, which is H-Bomb Boxing. I have my own Facebook page, and we'll talk a little bit about how you can uh, link up with us through social media. But uh, this week, we've got nothing. Uh, so we'll just take it from there and we'll, we'll run through. So on February 13th on ESPN, we have Joe Smith and back Maxim Vlasov for the vacant WBO light heavyweight title. I think that's a, that's a good scrap. I think that's a really good scrap. Uh, 
Comey on the undercard there. So, uh, I'm, I'm not sure who he's fighting. It's uh, it's more of a get-back-in-the-game kind of fight for him. Uh, also on the 13th, uh, on DAZN, Jojo Diaz against Shabnan Rakimov. That's an IBF junior lightweight title fight, and that's a good card. We also have Patrick Teixeira defending his WBO junior middleweight against Brian Castano, and another good fight on that card is Ronnie Rios and Oscar Negrete. That's a great card. Uh, February 17th is a Wednesday. There's a Showtime card. Uh, no, no names worth mentioning on there, but uh, I'm sure they'll be matched tough like they like to do on Showbox. Uh, the 19th is a Friday on ESPN+. Plus. Liam Walsh, Paul Highland Jr. February 20th, here's a good one. Miguel Burchelt defending his WBC Jr. lightweight title against Oscar Valdez on ESPN. Yep. That is going to be a good one. And sort of waiting in the wings uh, for that one is uh, Shakur Stevenson. I think he he's kind of been calling out these guys, and uh, he wants to he wants to make his name out there. What do you think of Stevenson? Well, I think he's a talented young fighter. He's one of those uh, out there in a the sport right now that uh, you have to say is one of the um, brightest looking uh, young fighters. He's probably going to make his way up a couple of weight classes before it's all over with. So I could see him mixing with some of the guys that we mentioned earlier. And very well, very well, could. Let's just add to the mix. Why yeah, not? the five. Uh, Princes. <laughs> uh, February 20th, David Avenisian, Josh Kelly on the zone. Also February 20th, the return of Adrian Broner. So there's a, there's a name that I don't care about, but a lot of people do. <laughs> so uh, he's taking on Giovanni Santiago. All, all three of them. He's, he's fighting at 140 pounds. So uh, he's, he's dropping down from 147 to 140. And uh, Santiago is a undefeated guy, Puerto Rican fighter, but uh, no names on his resume. So, I think Broner's trying to trying to dip his toe in the water here and get back in. Uh, Sergei Bocek and Brandon Adams is also a good scrap. That's on NBC Sports Network on February 25th. Uh, another uh, junior lightweight title fight, WBO, Jamal Herring, Carl Frampton. That's a good scrap, even though uh, Frampton is maybe past it a bit, and perhaps he, he's, he doesn't have the height to keep moving up in weight. So uh, we'll see what happens, and he's going to be taking on Jamal Herring. And that pretty much uh, that pretty much wraps up. Oh, how did uh, I forget? Yeah, Canelo, yeah. Canelo, February twenty seventh. Yeah, there's one more. WBA, WBC super middleweight title fight. Uh, I'm not expecting much uh, of a problem for Canelo. He's looking better and better. I mean, he he's really filled out at these heavier weights, and he just looks like a tank. He does. I mean, he definitely looks like uh, one of the best fighters in the world. His counter punching is amazing. I mean, he's just he's he's getting better. He's just he's he's a fantastic fighter. Also, February 27th, if you want to get up in the middle of the night in the zone, you can watch Joseph Parker and Junior Fa from New Zealand. And then uh, as we head into March, here's one, Scotty, Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White. Now, that'll be at the Wembley Arena in London. Of course, rematch. this is a rematch of a, a great fight. Uh, White was dominating the fight, uh, had scored a knockdown uh, against Povetkin, and then the next round comes out, and Povetkin just starched White out of nowhere. Knockout of the year until we saw Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz, in my opinion. Both of those with Fantastic uh, knockouts, yeah. Both of those with uppercuts. Fantastic. So, that's a great fight. And what do you think of the heavyweight division in general, Scotty? I mean, there's a big fight out there that's coming up, I hope. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the first, the top five, six fighters in the heavyweight division, and I think uh, I think it's pretty good. You have you have your retreads. You have your guys that whose names just never seem to disappear. They Luis Ortiz, for instance. 
Uh, How old is he? <laughs> good, good, good guess. Does anybody good know? Um, but you have some good fighters, and you know, I don't know how they compare to other eras. You know, maybe we shouldn't worry about that and just enjoy what we have. But you have Tyson Fury, obviously, at the very top. Um, he and Anthony Joshua seem like they are going to fight sometime this year. We don't know the circumstances around it's it. It's close, but it's not there yeah, yet. Yeah, it's close, but it's not there. And in boxing, that's, you know, until until it's there, it's it's not happening. But at least it seems pretty serious, and that's a huge fight. We were talking earlier, it may be one of the biggest fights in English boxing history. I mean, it's just a tremendous fight. Uh, Deontay Wilder, who knows what he's going to do. We haven't seen him back in the ring yet since his loss about a year ago to Tyson Fury. So curious to see who he gets in there with. What do you think... Uh... What do you think his path should have been after that? Should he have jumped right back in there? Or it's just, it seems like his name is sort of fading out, especially the way he handled the loss. He, he came up with a lot of reasons and excuses. Fired and, Mark Breland. Yeah, I mean, Mark Breland. Yeah. Well-respected guy in the sport. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's different for every fighter. Uh, some fighters need a break. And some For some fighters, that's a good thing. Uh, take some time off, regroup. For some fighters, they need to get right back in there. Uh, for Deontay Wilder, I'm not sure, uh, but I do know now it's been a year, and like you said, the name's starting to fade a little bit. He needs to get back in there, and uh, we need to see that power again, and he needs to remind people of why he was popular to begin with, because he can put anyone's lights out uh, in the blink of an eye with one shot. Right. Here, Here's a guy, no matter what you want to say about him, and there's, there's certainly room for criticism, but his power... Undeniable. Was undeniable. Legit. 100% legit. And when you got that kind of power, you're always relevant. So I'd like to see him get back in the ring, probably with a soft touch, and uh, and then see if he can get uh, someone there at the top. I'm not sure how soon he's going to be able to get another fight with Tyson Fury, especially if Fury and uh, Anthony Joshua are going to fight. Who knows if they do, how that will go, whether you'll – get another fight out of that. You just don't know how it's going to go. But, but I want to see Deontay Wilder get back in the ring because he did bring a lot of excitement to the heavyweight division. You mentioned Povetkin and Dillian White. Uh, Povetkin is a guy, you know, I was surprised. I, I, I knew Povetkin. I, I, you know, I, I knew his record. I knew who he's fought. But it does surprise me when I'm looking at his records. Like, you know, the guy only has two losses. Seems like he's been around forever. It seems like he's lost a bunch of fights. He hasn't. Right. He's only lost two. Yeah. And to two pretty good fighters. Absolutely. Larry Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. Yeah. So, you know, Povetkin is still, he's getting up there in age now, but he's still a guy, like he showed against Dillian White, who, uh, who is still relevant and who can beat some of the top fighters. We'll see how he does in the rematch because he was losing. He got dropped twice in that fourth round, but it's heavyweight boxing. And, uh, That's why punch, we love it, right? And it ended. You got Alexander Usyk. Jury's out on how right. he'll fare as a heavyweight. Um, so the name mentioned for him right now is Joe Joyce. I think that's I think that's a great fight. So for for Usyk to take that fight, he wants that step aside money because he's actually next in line. And uh, they fought once in the uh, what do they call that? The uh, professional boxing before you were in professional boxing sort of thing that they. <laughs> They did. I really didn't get into that too much. But uh, Usyk does have a victory over Joyce. Now, Usyk is not the biggest guy in the world. 
and uh, he looked a little vulnerable. I thought that that fight with Chisora was was I thought it was closer than most people. I thought he was life and death with him, and, and I thought he won, but not by a wide margin. Joyce, on the other hand, against uh, Daniel Dynamite Dubois, I I thought Dubois was going to run right through him. I was one hundred percent dead wrong. I said this kid's fast and powerful, and he'll run right through him. But Joyce had a great chin and a great jab. And he kept his composure and hats off to him. So now Joyce's stock has been elevated and Usyk's may have dropped just a little bit. So that's a, that's a good fight. Yeah, I think it's a good fight. And it's one of those fights you hope that is made. You got a guy like Usyk who showed that he is a tremendous fighter at cruiserweight. Uh, we know that he was a tremendous amateur. Now as a heavyweight, can he do what many before him, like right. Evander Holyfield, have done where they clean out the cruiserweight division, move up to heavyweight. Uh, it, it's going to be tough because you know, the heavyweights are big. Right. And Usyk is not a big guy, but he is a very talented fighter. So can that talent maybe outweigh his size disadvantages? I guess that's what we want to find out. Right. I think Joe Joyce is a perfect fight for him. Uh, you know, a young undefeated guy in the heavyweight division coming off of his biggest win. Uh I think that's a, I think that's a good test. I think that shows them. I think it shows the fans kind of where these guys are. For Joe Joyce, if he could beat him, then that uh, catapults him. I think in that division. Uh, if Usyk can win, I think it proves some people wrong that maybe this guy uh, can handle the big heavyweights and can uh, do something in this weight class. We'll see. I, 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 you that's know what I like about the heavyweight division. You know, the heavyweight division is always the Glamour division. Right. Um, the old adage, how the heavyweights go, so goes boxing. I don't know if that's entirely true, but I do know that when the heavyweight division is thriving, boxing tends to thrive along with it and that people love heavyweights. And when you have a good prop of heavyweights and they're fighting each other and giving you good, exciting fights, then um, you can't ask for much more. You know, one of the, th the things that illustrates how we're in a different era, the heavyweights are bigger nowadays. Usyk is... Basically, the same size that Larry Holmes was when he first won the title, about six three two fifteen ish, you know, kind of in that six two six three you know range. But he's considered a small guy, you know. That just kind of illustrates the era that we're in and how you know the Klitschko's came along and you know Lennox Lewis, Lennox and Lewis, guys and, like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. here, here we are, where you know the top guys are all six 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 seven six nine, and you know. Well, let me ask you this: uh, What do you feel about the? How do you feel about the Bridger weight division? Which is the Bridgerweight division. Now, the WBC, uh, they want to, you know, at one time, Scotty, I don't have to tell you this because I know you know, there were eight weight classes and there were eight guys walking the earth who could call themselves a world champion. And now the WBC wants to come up with a division between cruiserweight and heavyweight at a limit of 224 and call it the Bridgeweight division. I haven't heard any fighters say they're for it. I haven't heard any fans say they're for it. I haven't heard anybody say they're for it except the WBC. Well, surprised? No, that's not a surprise at all. Uh, you know, we've been down this road before when uh, the strawweight division was created, when the super middleweight division was created as a bridge between middleweight and light heavyweight. I can remember when the cruiserweight division was created. 1979, I believe. Yeah, 1980 was the first. Uh, uh, well, 1980 is when we had the first champion. I can't remember if it was 79 or 80. I know, that, I know it's funny because the very first championship fight was uh, Marvin Kamel, Mate Parlov, 
and the very first title fight for this brand new weight class. They go 15 rounds and it's a draw. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got to do it again. Right. So they did. And uh, Kemel was the first champion yes. of the cruiserweight division. And it, it was now the limit is 200. Then it was 190. But I can remember there were a lot of critics. A lot of people just didn't want to see this bridge between light heavyweight and heavyweight. But that was a significant jump. Yes. I mean, there's a reason why you go back through history and I, I might be wrong, but I think I think there were eight light heavyweight champions that rose to heavyweight, challenged for the heavyweight title and failed. And I'm talking about some big names, some great light heavyweights, you know, like Bob Foster, Foster, uh, Billy Frazier, Kahn, Billy Kahn, uh, a lot of these guys. Yeah. Um, so Michael Spinks was the first one to do it. Yes. And he beat Larry Holmes. And there's a reason why it was so difficult. I mean, that's 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 a big jump. Yes. So it made sense, but there were a lot of critics. Again, it, they, people were accused of you're just out there to make money. It's just another opportunity to have more titles, more money, more champions, blah, blah, blah. It but, seems uh, like it's still kind of like the redheaded stepchild it is. weight class it's for a lot is. of people. It's not the glamorous division. No. And I, I don't know if it's most of the fighters or uh, top dogs at cruiserweight are not Americans. And oh. that may have that may play into it. At least here, division it, so close to the heavyweight division, you know, the money difference is bigger than the weight difference. It, yeah. You know, the money <laughs> you can make at heavyweight dwarfs the money you can make at cruiserweight. But but there are some great fights at cruiserweight. Absolutely, and I thought that World Boxing Super Series. Was I thought that was tremendous, fantastic. And you know, that's where we saw Usyk rise to the top. So I like the cruiserweight division. I like the fight. A lot of times, like you said, you you mentioned how. You know, Larry Holmes was, you know, around 210 when he won the title, you know, give or take, you know, some weight. You know, that was like a normal weight for a heavyweight. And now just 10 pounds less than that. And that's the cruiserweight division. So you're almost the cruiserweight division is almost the heavyweight division of 30, 40 years ago. And prior to that, you got guys that are big, but they they still have to make weight. You don't see, you know, guys coming in 280 pounds looking like, you know, they need a, Looking like Dormani Rock. Did <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> Dormani Rock. Nah, there, there's a last name that, that just, just... Yeah, just, like, just didn't fit. So I, I think there's a lot to like about the cruiserweight division, but it just never seems to be popular because it's not the heavyweight division, but it's so close to the heavyweight division. So if you get... If you're any good as a cruiserweight and you have success as a cruiserweight... What are you going to do? You're going to move up, up. To, light he uh, to heavyweight because you know that's where the money is rather than just stay at cruiserweight. So I I, I understand that it's it seems ridiculous to have this bridge weight given how the heavyweight division has evolved, given the size of these guys. I don't know. Maybe 30 years from now we'll be looking back and the bridge weight will be something that we'll just – yeah, we won't even think about. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know what? If the WBC can make a buck off of it, it'll happen. So <laughs> if they can make a nickel so, off of it, it'll no happen. doubt about it. Scotty, I wanted to. I, I think, I, I think I know the answer to this question. But uh, what do you think of these non-boxing boxing fights? Um, 
like, I just want to say this. If, if anybody tuned into this podcast expecting to get a serious analysis of one of these fights, you tuned into the wrong podcast. I'm just talking in general. How do you feel about these fights? Is it serious analysis? Like, oxymoron when you're talking about these kind of things you're talking about like logan paul and these youtube things and i didn't even know who these guys were i had to ask someone who's like half my age i'm like hey why is this guy famous he's a youtuber i was like what is that i don't don't even i mean i'm an old guy i get it but i had no idea what what that was all about you know and i've I've had people who aren't really boxing fans but these guys move the needle you know but as far as non-boxing fans They'll strike people will strike up a conversation with me about this, and I've had people say to me like, "Well, why, why are boxers mad? Like these guys are just..." And in a way, they're right. These guys found a way to monetize their fame and their celebrity. Uh, the biggest selling pay per view of last year was Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. because they had the names. You know, I mean, it was a ridiculous event, but it sold. It did, but you're right. They had the names, and especially Mike Tyson. I mean, let's face it. If Roy Jones would have had a pay per view against, you know, anybody else, right. it, would, it would not have, have sold the way it did. Right? Tyson Mike, was the engine that drove yeah, that train. Seeing Mike Tyson in the ring again, even as a fifty-five-year-old man, is uh, something that I mean, it, it, the the guy is larger than life. So I, I can see why that made money. I didn't buy it. Um, I wasn't crazy about it, but. I get why people wanted to watch it. But when you talk about fights like Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, I I have to scratch my head yeah. and say, why would anyone ever you know, some, want to tune in? Unless they just want to see Mayweather beat the snot out of this guy and maybe send him back to his YouTube right. channel. If that would even happen, I mean, you would hope. Well, it's, it's, there's a bit of hypocrisy for a lot of, I hear a lot of fighters say, these guys don't belong in our sport and they're, they feel like they're disrespected, but then they'll say like, but I'll fight them and teach them a lesson. So they don't want them in the sport, but they don't mind them cashing a check for them while they're heading out the door, right. you know? So, uh, somebody had asked me, they said, well, why, why are the boxers upset or what, what, you know? And I, I, I was trying to come up with a couple analogies here. And I said, I said to a guy, I said, imagine you're a, you're a plumber. You want to be a plumber. You spend your whole life. You, you want to be a plumber. You've done all the training, the apprenticeship. You've gone to the seminars. You've got the experience. You, you've you done all this. And there's a big plumbing tournament coming up that you want to enter into. And just entering it is going to make you rich. And winning it's going to make you rich and famous. And it's, you know, it's, it's the thing that you've driven your whole life towards. And then all of a sudden, I said, somebody makes a YouTube video of themselves pouring Drano down a kitchen or a bathroom sink. And... It goes viral and they get the contest and you don't, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to put it in terms that people might understand, you know, or like, what if you're a world-class chef and you're, you're making world-class culinary cuisine and you work in a restaurant, your restaurant's only half full. So the owner hires a guy who doesn't know how to cook, but the restaurant's full. You know, this guy's putting frozen waffles in a toaster, but the restaurant's full. So I'm, I'm not for this. I can't wait till it goes away, but. It is what it is. It is what it is. And basically, if people pay to see it, it'll keep happening. And I understand why fighters would would be upset. Um, you know, let's put it this way. It's sort of like in UFC. 
I don't know if you follow UFC very much. I don't know if you follow wrestling, WWE very much. But if you remember CM Punk was at the very top of the WWE. He left the organization and he joined the UFC. How'd that work out? Uh, yeah, it didn't work <laughs> out too well. But he got uh, a fight on a UFC pay-per-view. And I know there were a lot of fighters out there who kind of wanted this guy to get it, uh, to get beaten and to be taught a lesson because, I mean, he had done martial arts, whatever, you know, before. So he wasn't a neophyte and obviously he knew how to wrestle, not just the, you know, the wrestling, wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he was a superstar, you know, he was a name and he was serious enough that he was given opportunity to train at a, uh, a very prestigious academy. Um, and when the time was right, they put him on a pay-per-view. And that angered a lot of people because you got to pay your dues. It's disrespectful. In, 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 in whatever you do in life. But a sport like boxing, I think even more so. Because... Coming up in boxing is uh, is very hard. Remember what Rocky Balboa said? He's like, uh, uh, when someone called him a bum, and he said, you know, it's okay. In this, in this sport, I'm at least half a bum. So in this sport, you're almost guaranteed to wind up a bum. You know, it's hard. It's a tough business. It'll chew you up and spit it, you out. It will. And for every Floyd Mayweather, and let's not kid ourselves. Floyd Mayweather paid his dues. Whatever you think about how he's conducted himself uh, as a champion, yeah, he's been fighting since he was a little kid. And he has paid his dues. Sugar Ray Leonard paid his dues. Muhammad Ali paid their dues. These guys didn't just wake up and become famous because they put out some YouTube videos. They paid with sweat, blood, you know, so much sacrifice. And to see someone like these guys on YouTube get in there and make the kind of money that they are when there are a lot of fighters that would just love to sniff that kind of money and they've worked so hard at it. That's, that's, that's kind of why. And, and I understand that and I don't like it. I wish it didn't exist. I won't watch it. I won't be a part of it, but it's reality. There's like a lot of things in life, you know, life ain't fair. Marty, you ever hear someone tell you that once or twice? Yeah. And, uh, this is just an example of that. Well, you know, fans sometimes play into this whole equation, too, because nowadays, at least, it seems like somebody has one loss on their record. They're a bum, you know, and I don't disrespect any fight. Any, anyone that's willing to make their way down the aisle, walk those steps and climb between those ropes to trade blows with somebody who's been training their whole life for the sole purpose of knocking your head off. You're in there. I, you got my respect, no matter what your skill level is. You know, you got my respect. And I feel like a lot of times fans will drop a guy, so to speak, when he has a loss or a couple of losses on his record. And it's just uh, it's it's kind of a shame nowadays that uh, we've kind of devolved to that. Well, and that's why you have fighters protecting their records. That's why you have fighters afraid to take a risk and fight another equally talented fighter where they go into that fight knowing this is a 50-50 fight or even... Look, I know I'm an underdog, 
You mentioned Teofimo Lopez taking on the top dog, not only in the division, but maybe in the entire sport. You want to see fights like that. You want to see fighters risk. And as long as I follow boxing, as long as you follow boxing, I think the one thing that stands out, fighters that you remember versus fighters that you don't, are fighters that are willing to take a risk. And I think if you look at Floyd Mayweather's career, as great a career as it was, and you can't deny his talent, you can't deny what he accomplished, but the one thing that stands out to me with Floyd is that for the latter half of his career, very little risk. You don't see him going into a fight where you hear people talking, saying, I can't believe Floyd's fighting this guy. This is he's put, this, this is risky. You know, moving up to a weight class where it's like, you're, you're crazy. I remember Evander Holyfield when you know, he moved up to heavyweight. And the talk was, you're, not, you're too little. There's no way you're going to succeed. And then, of course, you know, he has some wins, gets the title, loses to Riddick Bowe, and it's, see, he was never a true heavyweight, should have never done it, and he could have given up then, but he would not give up. He came back, more risk, and look at him now, you know, he's considered one of the great heavyweights of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always because there's risk. Sugar Ray Leonard coming out of yes. retirement, five years away from the ring, except for that one fight against Kevin Howard, five years away from the ring, comes back. Who does he fight for his first fight? Does he take a tuna? Well, he gets right in there with the toughest, baddest, best fighter in the world at the time in Marvin Hagler. And at a weight class, he's never even fought at before. Right. That's risk. Roy Jones moving up, fighting John Ruiz was risk. Bernard Hopkins, when he moved up and he fought Antonio Tarver, I can remember people thinking there's no 160 chance. 160 to 175. So... You remember fighters that risk. That's what point. we want to see from our fighters. We want to see fighters that are willing to put everything on the line, take a risk, go into a fight as an underdog, or or at least even money. And uh, fans should appreciate that, though. They uh, fans, you've got a great appreciation for it, and I do as well. But I just wish, I just wish the fans would in, would embrace that more often. You know, there's you could take two guys who are. Similar size, similar talent, similar everything, basically the same, same age, and you could start them out. And how does uh, you know how does one guy end up? Uh, check back with him in like say four years. One guy is uh, fifteen and zero, and he's on a co-main event, uh, challenging for a you know an interim title. You know he's he's moving up the chain here, and the other guy is you know twelve and nine, fighting for uh, five hundred bucks at the Teamsters Hall. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, like one guy could have got in, had an injury uh, and fought. You know, sometimes fighters have injuries and they don't want to pull out of a fight. And they fight with those injuries, you know. And, and those things sometimes don't get uh, taken into account. Sometimes there's bad judging. Sometimes there's favorable judging for someone or bad judging for another. Sometimes fighters are financially backed and others aren't. You know, a lot of fighters have to work. And some fighters get a stipend or, or get a bonus or whatever, and they can commit themselves 100% in the gym. You know, some some are managed properly. Some are brought along properly. Some are thrown to the wolves. So, you know, we've, we've seen it over the years, and I just, I just wish, in general, fans had a better appreciation for just good fights. Good fights. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 
let's throw the records out the window and let's just make uh, good fights, good matchups. And uh, I think that's really what fans want to see at the end of the day. Well, as we head down the stretch here, Scotty, I, I can't wrap up without asking you, what's your first boxing memory? My very first boxing memory is uh, Larry Holmes and Ernie Shavers. Uh, Great fight. That's a fight from 1978. I had to look it up and see, like, what what was the date? of When did this happen? Because I can remember being at a... Uh, <clears throat> at a friend's house and just had it on the TV uh, because that's, you know, boxing was, it was on the TV, you know, I remember those days. And uh, I remember Larry Holmes and uh, Ernie Shavers being interviewed and talking about what they're going to do. And I remember the fight was just, uh, it, it just, uh, I don't remember a lot of, I mean, I've seen the fight since, so you know, I know what happens, but at the time, uh, I just remember uh, that uh, stuck with me. Yeah, I, I'm one. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those. Like, you ever sit down with a bunch of guys at like a pay per view or something, you know, somebody's house or or whatever, and you know they'll they'll have the 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 hype shows and different things. I got and people will say like, oh, just get on with the fight. But I I soak up all the stuff. I love the weigh-ins. I love the, the you know HBO would do like a three minute clip or whatever on each guy, and you know it would just really kind of stoked my interest you know what i mean oh, I, I i like to soak up all that stuff and i think i realized that that's what separates me from other other people want to see the fights i want to see the fights too but i want to soak i want to kind of soak well it you all gotta up. know every fight there, there's a story there's a story in every fight and there's a story behind it there you know you got two guys with two lives and i haven't known a fighter yet that didn't have an interesting life or you Absolutely. know a great story and that's why you got so many hollywood movies you know, made out of fighters and boxing because there are so many stories there. And I used to love that when they would have a, a, a segment on each fighter, a little biographical segment. How did they get to this point? You know, tell us about their hardships. Tell us, you know, what brought them to this point. And I can, I, they were fighters. I didn't even, I didn't know who they were, but I would find myself at the edge of my seat rooting for a fighter for yeah. based upon a five-minute exactly. segment beforehand i can remember watching like a five minute piece on ozzy ocasio before he fought larry holmes thinking like this guy's got a shot look you know like you know you get sucked in you know and yeah and that's, that's i that's, guess that's the job of the uh the you know of the, the producers or the, the directors or whoever whoever puts these pieces together that's the job to sort of tug on your heartstrings and make you believe that the other guy has a chance and you know i, I soak it all up i actually go back to Ali foreman uh, which was October of 1974, which I'm an old man. It would have put me at about eight years old. I can just remember kids in, in class arguing about who they thought was going to win and whatnot. And uh, my father was a big boxing fan, and I sort of caught on to that early. I liked all sports. I was competitive. You know, I like to play sports and watch a lot of sports. But we would be like out at the grocery store or something, and my father would be like, let's go, Nancy. The fights are coming on. We, you know, we got to get back home. And, uh, you know, it's kind of piqued my interest. I would say like, wow, this is, uh, you know, well, let's find out what this is all about. And, you know, we'd get home and he'd throw the groceries down on the kitchen floor and we'd go in there and, 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 and we'd watch the fights and, uh, you know, just great memories. And, uh, I, I can remember I was in the army in the, uh, in the military in the eighties and I was home on leave and I got tickets and we went to watch Hagler Hearns, which if anybody out there hasn't seen, it, it's the greatest three round fight in history. 
Uh, we went to that fight. It was a great memory. And I just happened to be on leave the following year when it was Hagler and uh, John the Beast Mugabe. So, you know, I have those memories. And uh, that's kind of what boxing is all about. But well, we, we could, I'm sure, fill a whole show with uh, boxing memories. Marty. I'm sure we both have so many. Um, I have a ton growing up. I mean, boxers were my heroes. You know, when I first was introduced to him. I mentioned the Larry Holmes, Ernie Shavers fight. You know, the next memory would be another Larry Holmes fight against, I was defending a title against Leroy Jones. It was like his sixth title defense. But that night there were several, um, several fights that night, several cards at different places. Sugar Ray Leonard uh, in uh, Landover, Maryland fought uh, Davy Boy Green, defended yes. his title that night. And he was a hero of mine. Obviously he's from Maryland. I mentioned Larry Holmes, Leroy Jones. On the undercard of that, by the way, Thomas Hearns fought. Alexis Arguello fought. I mean, you're talking about three Hall of Famers. On the same card. That's amazing. Another card that night in Knoxville, Tennessee, Marvin Johnson getting uh, stopped in the 11th round by Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. Um, Great names. Great names. Mike (laughs) Weaver. This one I remember very specifically. Because I was, I was at the same guy's house. His parents, they had the fights on. By the way. That's a good friend. That's a good friend to have. Marty, you know what day of the week this was? Uh, Tuesday. It was a, it was a Monday. <laughs> yeah, right. Close. It was a Monday. <laughs> right. When's the last time you saw a yeah. fight on a Monday night, much less? Yeah. All cards like this. There's so many Amazing. on the same night. Is Mike Weaver knocked out John Tate with just oh, a little bit left. Last round. round. Yeah. Yeah. After uh, losing the majority of yeah. the fight. And I'll never forget that. And. You know, yeah. there's just so many. I remember exactly where I was for that fight. I loved fighters. Um, to me, as a little kid, and I mean little, I was I was very very small at my age, so I could get picked on and bullied pretty easily. And fighters, you made me, up for that, by the way. I, 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 I have, yes, you're you're right, I have. Um, but I would look at fighters like no one messes with them. They were my superheroes. I'd get Ring Magazine. And they used to have a poster in them. My walls were covered with boxers, you know. So that's good stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of lot of memories, uh, a lot of good times, and uh, you know the sport to me isn't what it was, uh, but there are still enough good things about the sport because ultimately it's about the fighters, and you still have good fighters. You still have good fights to be made. And we've mentioned several of them already coming up. Um, a guy like Caleb Plant. How do you not root for a guy like him? Joe Smith. I mean, come on. How do you not root for a, uh, a working guy like yes. Joe Smith? Uh, so many great young fighters in this sport. And uh, I, I still think it's the greatest sport in the world. I would agree with that. Well, Scotty, I cannot thank you enough for coming in here. I, I need you to come back here at some point. Uh, I hope you, you drop in and co-host here as, as often as you like or I, I, it, the time went by like that I don't even know how long we've been on but I mean it just seemed like it flew by and you know anytime I'm talking boxing with somebody it just you know the time just seems to fly do you have any final thoughts no I'm happy for you I think this is great I'm glad you're doing this uh, I know it's a passion of yours and I know that it will only get better and bigger and uh, I wish you uh, the best of luck well, you know, before we wrap today, Scotty, I, I want to thank everyone for listening and being a part of the show. Our startup team's awesome. Chris, Tina, Sophia, and of course the co-host, Scotty Krause. Awesome. Uh, I'm blown away uh, by 
their not only their capabilities, but their willingness to help me and get this thing off the ground. I could not do this without the people that I just mentioned. So I really appreciate that. And also everyone listening, I, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, I didn't even mention the social media stuff, but just real quick, uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, that's great. Listen again. If you didn't, tell someone who might. Tell them to go to hbombboxing.com. It's easy to remember, hbombboxing.com. Submit your email to subscribe. When the shows drop, you'll be notified with an email. And uh, this is, we're building this thing from the, from the ground up, and uh, we're glad you're along with us, and we hope you stick around with us. So, for Scotty Krause, this is Marty H. reminding you that in life, it's not where you are, it's not what you're doing, it's who you're with that matters. Spend more time with the people you love, watch more boxing, and we'll do it again next time on the H-Bomb Boxing Report. So long, everybody.